Let's give attention to God's word now. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Romans chapter 1. Let's ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word, a portion which lays bare the depravity of the human heart and how that comes to expression In our world. Gracious God, we look to you to rescue and deliver us from this. We acknowledge that it is our own state also by nature as we come from Adam. This too would describe us, and to the degree that it does not, it is because you have preserved us from sin, it is because you have restrained us from wickedness, it is because you have caused us to be born again by the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, we praise you and thank you and ask that you would enable us to stand firm amid a society where all these things are true. May our life, may our behavior, may our thoughts, may the whole direction of our hearts and lives bear witness that there is a different, a better, a more human, a more God-glorifying way to live. Work in us through your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This portion of the book of Romans 
as I said in the prayer, of course, is a diagnostic. It reveals what is the problem with human beings. What is the problem that we face? And, of course, we've paid a fair amount of attention to those matters recently. And, for instance, our series from the book of Ecclesiastes, it comes up as well, of course, in the Gospel of Mark. So we've heard some of these things a time or two already. But the fact that we find it repeated in the scripture reminds us that these are things that we need to know. These are things about which we need to be clear. And you might notice at the introduction of the passage that we read, we started with verse 16, very familiar verse, well known within the whole Gospel of Romans, that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. He talks about how the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, and then he says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that brings up a couple of questions. It brings up why does Paul go from talking about the gospel and righteousness to wrath, and it brings up the question, how is the wrath of God revealed. I want to press pause on the first question. We'll answer the first question towards the end. And instead, for now, I want to focus on the second question. How is the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men? When you think about the wrath of God and when you think about the wrath of God being revealed, what is it that comes to mind? Well, maybe for a lot of us, we would think about the flood, wouldn't we? We would think about God seeing that the wickedness of man was very great in the earth and God deciding this whole thing is a disaster and so saving Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives alive in the ark while the rest of the world was drowned in water. That was a revelation of the wrath of God. And our minds may go to something like that, and legitimately so. Or we might think of Genesis chapter 19. We might think of the cities of the plain where God said he would spare them if 10 righteous men could be found, but 10 righteous men could not be found. And so the angels came to Sodom and they warned Lot and Lot's family, but ultimately it was only Lot and his two daughters who got out and fire and brimstone rained down from God out of heaven. And if I ask you, what do you think of when you think of the wrath of God? Well, it's not unlikely that the destruction of the cities of the plain would come to mind. But Paul doesn't mention either one of those examples here. Paul doesn't refer to them. He has a different idea in mind as to how God's wrath was revealed. And God's wrath was revealed by giving people up or giving them over, as it says. You have that in verse 24. God also gave them up to uncleanness. You have it in verse 26. God gave them up to vile passions. And you have it in verse 28. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. We need to take this in. We need to really stop and let that penetrate our minds and our hearts. 
How was the wrath of God revealed? It was revealed by people spiraling deeper and deeper into sin. How was the wrath of God revealed? By God's restraints on sin being removed. How was the wrath of God revealed? It was revealed because people got worse and worse. If we don't grasp that point, we're not going to understand the revelation of God's wrath. Now, I'm not saying that this is the only way that the wrath of God is revealed. The flood was a revelation of wrath. The destruction of the cities of of the plain was a revelation of wrath. And when Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians about how our Lord Jesus will be revealed in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that do not know God and that do not obey the gospel, that also is a revelation of wrath. So I don't wish to be misunderstood. There's other ways for wrath to be revealed. But among the ways for God's wrath to be revealed from heaven is by letting people get worse, by taking away what checks their sinfulness, what puts some kind of a boundary on it. And so this is what happened. You notice they knew God. This is where it begins. They knew God, verse 21, but they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Since they had a knowledge of God as, that, as God was revealed in creation, as that knowledge was available to them, but they didn't use it or they didn't use it well. They didn't use it properly. Instead, they resisted it. Instead, they suppressed it. Instead, they fought against it. When conscience admonished them that something was wrong, they didn't listen and change. They resisted conscience. And so they became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And at the very time that they were pretending to great wisdom, to advanced wisdom, to seeing through these superstitions, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God. In other words, they exchanged the worship of God. They exchanged an idea of who God is as that is revealed in creation, a true idea as far as it goes, for these fictions about... Images made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They kept spiraling downwards into increasingly grotesque idolatry. They didn't want to worship the creator, the Lord of heaven and earth, and instead they wound up worshiping reptiles and insects. Oh, what a great exchange. What a huge improvement for them, huh? Not at all. It was the wrath of God being revealed. From heaven. And so God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. What came first? We often think that immorality came first, but idolatry came first. Ungodliness precedes unrighteousness, and unrighteousness is often the penalty the punishment, the wrath of God against idolatry. They didn't like to keep God in their knowledge. They exchanged God for idols. They exchanged truth for a lie. And how did that work out for them? Well, it worked out that they were given over to uncleanness, that they became the slaves of their own corruptions. It's worth pointing out here, we live 
in a day of rampant and increasing, in some ways, immorality. You're never going to address the immorality. You're never going to address the bad and scandalous behavior until you address the idolatry. You've got to go deeper than just saying, cut it out, obey the seventh commandment. That would be fantastic. I would love it if more people obeyed the seventh commandment. Don't get me wrong. But you can't get them to obey the seventh commandment by telling them that. That particular sin, that particular kind of sin, that whole category of sin is arising out of somewhere else. It's arising out of idolatry. Well, you might think being given up to uncleanness is bad, but it gets worse. They were given up also to vile passions. Now in their uncleanness, they're not just disordered. They're not just doing things they should not. Now they're actively going against nature. In other words, they're spiraling worse and worse. And just to be very blunt here, we have seen this happen. The way that people get sucked into tremendous amounts of perversity, it usually doesn't start with that. It starts with some mild, if that expression is even meaningful, pornography. And pornography leads, one thing leads to another. When you hear about people melting down (laughs) with extremely horrible ways, most of the time it started with pornography. Now, in some cases, it may have started with mistreatment. It may have started with abuse or something along those lines. But there's a spiral. There's a descending spiral. And it is very slippery. And if you think, well, I can put limits to my sin. I will sin this much and then I'll stop. You're deceiving yourself. You will not stop. There is no safe bargain to be made with sin. The only safe thing to do with sin is to repent of it and to mortify it by the grace of Christ. You need to be putting sin to death, not trifling with it, not playing with it, not pretending. Well, it's just a small sin. Well, it's just a little thing. Well, it's not that bad. Yeah, but there's a spiral and it's greased and you don't know how far down you will slide. You may slide forever. It may never get better because this is the punishment of sin that you're given over, given over to uncleanness, given over to vile passions. And even with that, it doesn't stop. Now you have people acting clean, contrary to nature, acting in a way that is self-evidently wrong and unfruitful and unproductive. And is that the end? No, even that is not the end. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. In other words, they didn't acknowledge God. They didn't say who he was. They didn't admit what he had done for them. And so what happened? They were given over to a debased mind. And now, up until this point, Paul has been talking about immorality and perversion. But now he can go and add other elements as well. Unrighteousness, sexual immorality. He's already talked about that. But now he's particularizing wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. These are the qualities that they do have. Now listen to the qualities they don't have. Undiscerning. They can't tell good from evil, right from wrong. They don't know how to distinguish. Untrustworthy. They may promise and swear up and down. And you can't trust them at all, unloving. So much 
of the perversity that is carried on in our day is carried on in the name of love. But what does the Bible say about it? It says unloving. It's instrumentalizing other people. It's reducing other people to the level of a toy for our pleasure, our convenience. Unforgiving. They don't know how to overcome an offense. They don't know how to overcome evil with good. They're trapped in resentment and anger. Unmerciful. What do you expect? These are people who have turned their backs on God's mercy. How would they be merciful? And so they're harsh. I probably don't need to apply this to our present age very much, do I? People who watch the news, people who read about what's happening, people who have neighbors, know a lot of this reality already, don't you? But do we understand the reasons for this reality? I've sometimes heard people express shock that things have gotten so bad in Kern County of all places. But Kern County is not a bastion of righteousness. It's true, there are God-fearing people in Kern County, but there's lots of people who are not God-fearing. There's a lot of ways in which in conservative counties, there's characteristic patterns of sin. Now, between a red county and a blue county, maybe your patterns of sin are a little bit different. But how much sin is there in red counties? There's a lot of it. There's an awful lot of it. And what happens? Well, you don't like to retain God in your knowledge. God gives you over. And it's frightening how quickly things can get worse. Well, that's the basic message. Obviously, this is not a complete exposition. You get that, right? This is just trying to show how was the wrath of God revealed The wrath of God was revealed in these successive steps of giving people over, of giving them up to uncleanness, to vile passions, and to a debased mind. So hopefully we've understood that truth. We see that God's wrath is revealed not only in punishing sin. God's wrath is revealed in allowing people to continue and to go downhill in sin. We sometimes wonder how people got to be so bad. The wrath of God is being revealed. But there are some applications to make now that we've understood that. One is, as a society, are we waiting for wrath to come or are we already living through it? The wrath of God is already here. This is not exclusively a future thing. There is a future element to it, but there is an already as well as a not yet to God's wrath. God's wrath is already being revealed. So that's one big lesson to take away from here. But here are a few others. Is there any room for self-righteousness? Here's a personal application of this truth. Do you have any room? Do you have any claim for self-righteousness? You might say, I haven't been given over to uncleanness. I haven't been given over to vile passions. I haven't been given over to a debased mind. Okay. Praise the Lord. That's God's restraining grace. But are you better than those who have been? Can you boast? Can you brag? Can you say, well, at least I'm not like those guys? Well, where did all of this begin? They knew God, but they didn't glorify him. Neither were they thankful. 
Have you ever failed to glorify God? Have you ever been ungrateful? Are you always grateful for every blessing, every good thing that God sends? I know the answer to that, and so do you. No, you're not. So what is true? What is true is that the seeds of all of this are in your heart. And they're in my heart, too. I'm not trying to set myself up over against anybody else either. If we have not come to some of these open and obvious extremes, it's not because we're so great. It's because God has worked in us. He's worked to restrain us, to prevent the expression of those things. He's worked in us by his word and spirit to take away those seeds. But if the seed is ingratitude, if the seed is a lack of thankfulness, how many seeds of all this depravity do you still have? More than you can count. I don't know the exact number, but it's more than we're going to be able to calculate. There is no room for self-righteousness. There is no room to take this passage and say, other people are terrible. You've got the same seeds. You've got the same potential in your heart as well. So there's a lesson, a personal application to ourselves. There's a couple of doctrinal applications here. One relates to the church's witness. We can never pretend, we can never back down from bearing testimony against this sort of thing because it is the wrath of God. When the church approves things that demonstrate the wrath of God, the church has gone deeply, deeply, deeply astray. We must bear witness against uncleanness, against the lusts of their hearts, against the ways they dishonor their bodies among themselves. But we can only bear witness against that, biblically, properly, if we're also bearing witness against exchanging the truth of God for a lie, if we're also bearing witness against idolatry. When the church does not hold forth God himself as the one who is blessed forever, as Paul says in verse 25, our witness against these other sins loses a lot of its force, loses a lot of its credibility. The church must speak, but the church must speak biblically. It's not enough to oppose this sin or that sin. You've got to oppose the root of sin. You've got to oppose the source of sin in idolatry and not recognizing God as the overflowing fountain of goodness. But then there's also a doctrinal application in this sense. If our gospel does not include the wrath of God, apparently it's not Paul's gospel. We're back around to that first question I asked. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And you think, whoa, hold on. Have we changed subjects here? I don't think we have. If we are not proclaiming the wrath of God... We are not proclaiming the biblical gospel. We are not proclaiming the whole truth that we need to be proclaiming. Paul tells the Romans all about the wrath of God and how it's revealed from heaven. Now, we can sin in excess here. We can proclaim nothing but the wrath of God, and that's not biblical. 
But we can also sin by defect. If we never proclaim the wrath of God, we are not living up to the biblical testimony. We are not sharing everything we need to share. And what is the importance of the wrath of God for evangelism, for proclaiming the gospel, for bearing witness to others? If you don't proclaim the wrath of God, you basically miss out on letting people know that their basic problem is God. They need God himself to fix the fact that there is a problem with God. Now, the gospel is a big thing, and there's a lot of different elements that enter into it. And you can talk about all of those elements, and you should. But when it comes to the elements of expiation, when it comes to the elements of propitiation and reconciliation, they don't make sense if you do not understand that our ungodliness and our unrighteousness provokes the wrath of God. So when we're talking about what is the problem with humanity, well, we can certainly say that our problem is that we're miserable. But that doesn't go deep enough. Why are we miserable? Well, we're miserable because we're sinners. Why does sin make us miserable? Because it's contrary to how we were created by our loving creator and because it alienates and offends our creator. It cuts us off from him. It makes us stand in a relationship of wrath to God rather than in a relationship of love, rather than a a relationship of acceptance. So in one sense, you can say, well, your deepest problem is you're a sinner. And, And that's true. But in another way, you could say, well, your deepest problem is that God is holy and you're not. You have to have that part of the equation as well. People sometimes act as though they're doing God a favor if they believe the gospel, if they came to church, if they heard his word, if they asked for God's forgiveness. Like it's such a treat for God to forgive them. We're the ones receiving a favor here. We're the ones who have gone astray. We're the ones who have done wrong. It is righteous. It is proper. It is holy for God to be angry with the wicked every day. It is righteous for the Lord Jesus to bring flaming fire and take vengeance on us. And it doesn't need for us to have done some great, some huge, some enormous monstrosity. On whom does he take vengeance? On those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel. That's all it takes. That's it. That's all that is required for the wrath of God to justly fall upon you. If that seems harsh, that's because you don't understand how bad that is. If we're not proclaiming the wrath of God, we are not being faithful to the biblical gospel. But there's one final application to make here. To whom was the gospel sent? Where was the righteousness of God revealed? It was revealed in the exact same place where his wrath had already been made manifest. Here we have a world under wrath. We see immorality spiraling worse and worse every day. And you might think, well, God gave them up. God gave them over. There will be no mercy for them. Don't underestimate God. Don't sell the mercy of God short to people like that. Paul was sent revealing the righteousness of God in the gospel. We can proclaim the gospel to those who are caught in a spiral, a descending spiral of sin and wickedness. We can proclaim the gospel to them in the confidence that it is the power of God to salvation. It's not the power of God to salvation for those who barely need any help to be saved. Not that there's anybody like that. 
It's the power of God to salvation, to the worst, to the chief of sinners. Well, may God stir us up as a church and as individuals to make known the full gospel, including the wrath of God, and including also his glorious righteousness given to us. Amen.